Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. Yo. That was Jessica Mbangeni sometime last year in Cape Town. Perhaps a bit of background. It was the Govan Megi lecture organized by the Robben Island Museum. On the day, the tribute lecture was delivered by the retired former Deputy Chief Justice and Robben Islander himself, Ndate Dikang Moseneke. As Dennis Goldberg was making his way to me on the couch for an interview. I had just had Jessica Mbangeni. And I'd asked her to pave, so to speak, the way for the late Uncle Dennis to come through and join us on the couch. That was her tribute to him, where I would have an interview with him. That interview goes something like this. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for being part of this Robin Island lecture series. Thank yeah. you so much for being in the audience. And thank you for just lending the weight of your presence to give this event the credibility that it is probably worth, given the fact that it is celebrating a doyen of the struggle, who for a lot of the time as well has been on the periphery yeah. because of the contemporaries he was with and also because of the son that he had who went on to become the yeah. second democratically elected president of the country. But you know him as good as anybody else does. Yeah. He was a comrade of yours. In 1964, together you were incarcerated, not so far from where we are. No, 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 no. I was in prison in Pretoria. In Pretoria, correct. Yeah. But uh, we saw a lot of each other during the trial. But I knew him from before that as well. Let's talk about those experiences. Well, I told a story tonight to the audience of uh, 1948, Umgov, 20 years older than me, says Umgov, uh, raining in Port Elizabeth, summertime, so it rains. And he goes, waiting for a lift to go somewhere, he goes into CNA bookshop and he finds a book about the liberation of Auschwitz Nazi concentration camp. And he reads it and he says, he's an African National Congress. Uh, he, he's in the African National Congress. He's an African nationalist. <coughs> but he sees from what happened in Nazi Germany, if you create a situation where only one group of people is superior for religion, for race, for ethnicity, for color, whatever. It must lead to violence between people. So he's an African nationalist, but he can never be a narrow national chauvinist. We have to build a non-racial South Africa. And this goes back to the Freedom Charter, of course. Sure. But the Freedom Charter goes back to the African Claims Document of yes. 1943. We want equality for all our people. And at first, I must say, the young Africans who, who formed the Youth League, they, they wanted everything for themselves. 
But how can you have non-racism if it's only for us and not others? And so this is the origin of non-racism really in the ANC and leads to the Freedom Charter. You mentioned something quite critical there in the sense that there were so many internal struggles within the party itself of course. that it had to continue redefining itself if it needed the kind of appeal that it would eventually win in 1994 in the constitutional democracy together with the global appeal that it attracted as a result. Tell us about these internal struggles in terms of fashioning out an ANC that was truly as on its papers. You see, you see the Freedom Charter some people say it's a socialist document. Some people say it's a social democrat document. It was capable of being interpreted in many ways. The land shall be shared among those who work it. Big issue today. Is it going to be chop up all the land into little parcels? Or are we going to have collective farms? Are we going to have state farms? How are we going to make sure we can feed ourselves if we destroy the great big grain baskets of the commercial farms. This is the problem that <coughs> President Brahmaposa keeps raising. We need to redistribute the land, but we've got to feed ourselves. How do we do this? There's land which is suitable for wheat, there's land that's suitable for maize, there's land that we're destroying the free state by overcropping with maize. It's the wrong crop for there. There is no water, but we spray it through the air and it evaporates. It's crazy needs a different approach. So all of these things have to be redefined about how, how you do it. 1962, uh, 3, I say to Nelson Mandela, you want an armed struggle, uh, one person, one vote, or equal rights for all. What's it, 50% plus one for black people? No, one person, one vote. There are lots of ways of doing it. How long is it going to take? He says he doesn't know. But it might be we get to the point where the apartheid government can't continue, but we can't overthrow them. And we have to accept less than what we want. We have to settle for what we can get and build from there. What a remarkable foresight, because that's in fact what happened. We did a deal to stop the killing that was going on day after day. I'm sad to say <coughs> that many of our young people don't understand the, the extent of the killing that was going on and that the ANC was running around trying to convince people that what we needed was peace because our people couldn't withstand the pressure anymore. This was the deal that was done and we've built from there but if you think about it where would we have got all the officials the trained bookkeepers, the lawyers, the accountants, the engineers, the, the doctors, the nurses, to do all the technical work when apartheid had deliberately deprived our people of those skills. We're now at a point where we've trained people and our young people are saying, let us do the job, I call it fix the potholes. Let us do the infrastructure, let us solve the problems. But the government, there are always officials in government and elected people who say they want to get rich first. And so things stall. And I'm optimistic because the young people are saying, you've trained us, let us do it. But we do need to make sure that we stick with the idea of equality for all our people. What are you going to do to women 
are they going to have really equal rights or the chieftain, the rights of traditional leaders which exclude women from full majority when our constitution guarantees equal rights? Uh, all of these things are serious contradictions for us and we're still struggling with it. But we're in a position where we can debate and that's important for me. We're in conversation. Mr. Dennis Goldberg, Governor Beck, is co-accusing the Ravonia trial. He was in prison for 22 years, serving time in Pretoria. You've raised a couple of issues, young people's skills. You've raised the issue of political schooling in context. You talked about the killings, particularly black-on-black -black violence, oh. when talking about the People's War of the late 80s, early 90s, ANC and IFP. Let's talk about something which should resonate with the majority of our listeners to an extent. Young people, skills availability, uh -huh. and the issue that continues to plague the movement yeah. with its deployment of persons uh, who are either aged or uh, don't have the skill or simply cannot respond to the challenges that the youth of today face and presiding over such big state resources and being unable to match the resource spend for the resource requirement. Uh, I see the problem you're talking about and it's an important one. And I see that President Ramaphosa has said to quite a lot of the old-timers, I'm not putting you in my cabinet. And they've quickly resigned. They don't want to be backbenchers. Um, I, I think that's a good thing. It's, it's removing people who did the best they could. We fought a revolution with people who weren't particularly well-trained for anything. But we won. You can't then say, at this moment, you've done your task, goodbye. These are people who have the ability to draw people into the struggle. But at the beginning of the democratic revolution, what they were doing was right. Um, there's a lot of secrecy, a lot of maneuvering, but we now have established our democracy. I still get asked, as the former weapons maker, tell us how to make the weapons. And I say, but we've got a constitution. It's our constitution. We must use it. The time for bombs is over. It's a different struggle. It's a struggle between an alignment of political and economic forces that we have to work at. And I would like our young people to seriously consider this. The idea of simply killing and killing and killing would leave a bitterness for all our people. And my classic example is Tata Walter Sisulu, whose father was a white magistrate and his mother an African woman. They had a couple of children together, but they couldn't live together. And so uh, the young Walter was brought up by his gogo. But he chose to be African and not coloured and a great leader and a great philosopher, political leader, we all consulted him. And his style was how to draw people together. There's a line, there's some you can't deal with. Sure. Um, I would like us to understand that it wasn't Nelson Mandela speaking wonderful words and so we got our freedom. Actually, Oliver Tambo was the leader in the exile years led us to freedom, sadly died. Even Nelson Mandela acknowledges this role of the great Oliver Tambo. 
But in the end, it was that we mobilized two million people in the United Democratic Front and many others who supported the ideas. Weren't members. Mm. Some were opposed to the ANC, but they supported the ideas. We sort out the problems later. It's the mass of the people, and it's the mass of the people now who will solve our problems with proper leadership. And I trust my comrade Sir Ramaphosa. I've discussed these things with him, and he understands. He understands that we have a problem. We want him to restore democracy, and we want him to do it quickly in an authoritarian way. That's an interesting point. What do you mean by that? When you restore something, presumably it has been broken or sufficiently threatened. It has been threatened. It's been, in a way, members, senior members, politicians and officials, and some of them in the private sector, have stolen our freedom by stealing the money. And I get very irritated with those people who say, oh, well, you know, the Guptas only stole eight billion, Oppenheimer stole much more, and no, no, no. One of the reasons we fought them is that they stole so much from our people. They stole the land, they stole our women, they stole our people, and the minerals, everything. We want back for our people. But you see, eight billion would... Hmm. Mm. University degrees taking seven years, 20,000 a year. Eight billion would finance them for 20 years. Imagine how many people we would put through university free of charge. Eight billion isn't peanuts. Only when you talk about a hundred billion. Eight billion is big money. And when the leader of the state is, if, even if he is not directly involved in pocketing the money, as president he is duty bound to say to people, stop this. But I never heard him say that. Let me interrupt you there, Uncle Dennis. And that's the theft of our democracy. Let me interrupt you there, or let me engage yeah. at that point. Yeah. There was a time where President Jacob Zuma said, I know those people who are stealing from government, but I choose to keep quiet. Yeah. That's one. In the Oliver Tambo memorial letter delivered by his protege, former President Tawabeke, he said the biggest challenge to the ANC is the ANC itself. Yes. How do we get to a point where the ANC is incapable of self-correcting? One, you've got a former president saying the problem is the ANC's members. And, as if to prove that point, for, former President Jacob Zuma says, I know where the rot is, and I know who is behind the rot, but I choose to keep quiet. That is telling. Well, it's also very tragic, I think. And it's not uncommon around the world. We're no different from people around the world. The United States is corrupt as hell, so is Britain, and so is France and Absolutely. Germany. France is but they can afford it. We can't. Yes. Our people, we need the funds. We need it for social work. We need it for education, for infrastructure. Talking to an architect here tonight, he's got no work. It was infrastructure for government that gives architects and contractors work. And we have a serious backlog in that. And there's a huge backlog that we need. So this taking of the money is a dangerous precedent. How does it get there? Well, let me say... I've been involved a long time. In fact, I used to sell the Guardian newspaper when I was 10 years old in 1943. That's just a few days ago, huh? So <laughs> I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it was like then. 
I know that if somebody like the estate agent Penny Sparrow used the K word then, yes. people would have laughed and joked and said, so what? Yes. Today she's in prison. Yes. Yes. She appeals and she's... That, for me, that's a big change. It's massive. When I watch the SAFM now in the mornings, and I often do, because I know I'm going to get even criticism of the state by the state broadcaster. That's a remarkable change. Yes. That's the beginnings of distorting democracy. When I see the commentators, what they call the commentariat, people of all races, all sorts of skills, adding their voices to what's going on. It's not a few white intellectuals anymore. It's our people. Some of them still speak the same rubbish, but it's our people expressing themselves. the community views on themselves. When I watch kids singing and dancing, uh, it's not just a few white kids, it's kids from all over the country. I see young people who make it internationally as entertainers. I see artists, I collect art from artists who've never been trained, would never thought worthy of being artists, and people they paint, farm workers, fishing folk, real people that represent our country. It's so exciting what's happening. We should have gone further. We should have. We should have gone further. This is for me the problem. So when I raised this with Comrade Sroor Ramaphosa, I said, we want you to be authoritarian, and you can't be because then you're returning to the old past of Zuma. Um, but I don't know, maybe we need a benevolent dictator. But how do you get rid of him afterwards as a dictator? And he said, well, Comrade Dennis, the point is waiting. It's a matter of timing. The other side make mistakes, the evil ones. We issue a statement from Cabinet, and somebody in Cabinet adds some words that we didn't use. He's put his foot wrong. Now we can go for him. And those who want to get rid of Comrade Cyril make mistakes every day. And speaking I think in our riddles, people, huh? speaking in riddles for a lot of people. Do you want to unpack when you say these <coughs> people? What are these elements to which you refer? Who are these personalities well, who want to destabilize this, this democracy? Well, there are elements in the ANC leadership who would like to see President Ramaphosa go because he's threatening their position of access to the resources of the state. And some of them are going to be charged or have been the huge allegations of misappropriation of funds uh, and... Uh, uh, they're going to end up in prison, some of them, or fighting for their political lives. And so they want him out. And so there's a battle within the ANC. It's not about an ideological battle and ideas. It's about who. Is it us? I don't know who he trusts sometimes. But he's clever in the State of the Nation address. He opened by mentioning every political leader of the 20-odd parties in Parliament now. During the election, we all found this. In other words, it was a South African speech, not an ANC speech. And then later in the speech, he has this vision of a smart city, a metaphor for something new and exciting. And he says, I've spoken to Jesse, and I've spoken to this one, that one, the other one. All of them have their own factions. But he says, we all agree that we have to do this. 
What clever politics. But actually, we agree with each other. He draws them in together. He's a businessman. He knows our people are angry. He knows that if we don't deal with the issue of land, of jobs, <coughs> <coughs> of education, social welfare, we're going to have an explosion, a social explosion. And everything we fought for can go up in flames. And, and so as a businessman, as a businessman, he can speak to other business people and say it's in your interest and our interest collectively to work together to prevent that from happening. Why is the contestation not a contestation of ideas? I'm thinking about your generation. There would have been what we refer to as umkhabulo, where ideology was contested. Where within the broader framework of lodging the struggle, or, or rather of waging the struggle, yeah. there were many inner contestations. But all because the horizon was the same. That place of utopia was ideal for everybody. We have lost our way a bit, and I think that might be, and I'm speculating, it you. might be an absence of the social movement in our private spaces where the political ideology, the political schooling, if you will, was taking place in our private spaces, and it's not taking place. And as a result, the struggle, the 21st century struggle, of creating a South Africa that is responsive to the dictates of the Constitution is missing. That's why you've got these rogue elements within the glorious movement. But you see, Comrade Kalema Mutlanti told me that at the Mangaung conference he was elected, appointed as the leader of political education in the ANC. But the new national executive wouldn't give him any money to bring students together, new leaders together, and so he was actually bound, f hand and mouth, from doing political education. Why? Because when people are politically educated, they can express themselves better following this concept of mkhablo, uh, of ideological contestation of ideas, and not about who individual personalities. And so it's distorted somewhat. But during the days of the struggle, we all had a common enemy. All we had was the idea of defeating apartheid. There weren't resources to steal or to appropriate, to use a polite word. It was, let's get on with the job. I came out of prison in 1985. I went to Osaka. I met with Comrade O.R. Tambo. And I said, Comrade, don't you think it's time we started reworking the Freedom Charter to make it into a constitution? Because it's so loose, and it was left deliberately, so that nobody gets driven away. Land reform, jobs, farms, whatever, mines, banks. But there comes a point where you actually have to say what you plan to do, because you're going to run elections, and there are different elements in the society voting. He had already asked Comrade Albie Sachs, a lawyer, trusted intimately. To be, as well. and, yeah, but Albie Sachs was the one who was started off by creating a framework yes. in consultation with Comrade O'R. And then, then to build a team with Carter Asmal and international constitutional lawyers. And what a job they did. I'm not saying it's Albie's work alone. Sure. But uh, what I'm trying to say is Comrade Awar was so on top of things. 
I come out of prison reading newspapers and saying to him, don't you think? He says, that's very interesting because we've just arrived at the, that conclusion. And for me it was a thrill, I have to say, that all the time in prison I'm still in touch. Let's talk about O.R. Tambo. Uh, There's a quote I read from him, or attributed to him at least, that says, Comrades, you might think waging a struggle is difficult. Wait until you assume power. Yeah. What foresight? Certainly in the context of what we see today. Tremendous. How Tremendous. might he feel about what he sees? I wish... About what we experience? I wish... Oh, oh, we're around. He died at the most inopportune time. Uh, just at the... When the fruit of all his leadership, together with others, but there was no doubt that he was the... The powerful influence and could draw people together and shape ideas. We actually need him now. And there was a time when it leaked out that Nelson Mandela was talking to de Klerk's people about negotiations. The enemy. The enemy. And O.R. said, Nelson, how can you do this? And Nelson said, but we're such close comrades. You trust me. I'm not talking substantive negotiations. I'm talking about the need to negotiate. Nuanced. Absolutely. We talk about we have to find a way to negotiate, otherwise people are going to die unnecessarily. The apartheid state can't continue and we can't actually overthrow them. And this came around 1985 when the state of emergency was declared. That's right. That's right. And so... <laughs> they had a way of getting messages in and out and oh, I said well if that's the case that's okay and then the, we know that Comrade Thabo he was running around big business and various governments and trying to get a negotiating forum together for support for transformation so that's where we're at unfortunately some of our comrades think that if only we say this then everything will happen we forget sometimes the other side's also playing in the game, and they've got guns. Yeah, that's that's Uncle Dennis Goldberg's recantures of the times that were. Things that we learn about in history, lessons now, things that we see manifest in constitutions and freedom charters that we celebrate 64 years on. But so much pain carries in the story. Thank you so much, Uncle Dennis Goldberg, for a wonderful story. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your voice. And more importantly, thank you for your sacrifices. You are sitting now on a wheelchair, as it were, and a part of it, if not an extensive part of it, is all because of your body's toils. Thank you for interviewing me. And let me say, I want to thank the SAFM board following through on the idea that we need to be able to express reality as it is and not just hide things that are wrong. Uh, it's a big change in the SAFM and it's a wonderful change. It needs to carry on further. And my comrade uh, Kanyasila Kwayama played a wonderful role as first interim chair. Great comrade of mine. The world changes and revolutionaries die. The children forget. Ukuba inene bazalwa gobani. To you, Dada Mlangeni, proverbially the last man standing, yet literally the last man standing. We see you, we honor you, we respect you. 
to the fallen, the late, Uncle Dennis Goldberg. We will never let your voice die. For your voice carries the struggle of many men and women who gave their lives so that generations after them may have a voice, may have a voice in an era of freedom. Freedom, even from those who rule and preside over us, our governments. Freedom from poverty. May we live in our lifetime to realize your wildest dream about this beautiful country, South Africa. We're taking your calls. Voice notes under 40 seconds, please. On the other side of this tribute by Tandiswamazwai, what are your thoughts as we had this conversation with Ndate Goldberg? What are your thoughts about the memories of Madiba? Hamela, What are your thoughts about the late Dennis Goldberg? What are your thoughts on the good wishes still that we want to see in him live? Is it Twalandwe? Good evening, folks. We're taking your calls. We're listening out for your voice messages. 